church this morning. We're reading from Jeremiah 29, 11. And this is what it says. It says, For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good, not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. In those days when you pray, I will listen. I will listen. If you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. That's so good. Lord, we thank you for your presence this morning. Lord, we thank you that when we pray, you listen. That you're always listening, Lord. We thank you that every time we look for you wholeheartedly, we find you. We thank you that we have that firm promise, Father. Lord, make today about you, Lord, not about us. Make this weekend about you, Lord, not about us over everything else. We welcome you. Amen. Amen. Would you grab a seat this morning, church? Yes, we do. We have lollipops here for the kids. Kids, why don't you come on up and grab some lollipops? We found that this is the most amazing way to keep kids quiet during a sermon. (laughs) It's actually awesome. Lollipops. Bring it on. I take over the lollipop distribution. Awesome. (laughs) So good. Hey, how's everyone going this almost Christmas? Woo, one, woo. Good work. And it's from my wife. That's a good thing. (laughs) That means she's doing all right. That's great. Got lollipops going on. There's also coloring at the back as well for kids as well. Feel free to grab some of that. I like coloring too. That's awesome. All right. Who's done all their Christmas shopping so far? Almost there? Almost there? Getting close, getting close. Hey, my sermon title this morning is called, It Was Definitely Planned. Can you turn to the person next to you and say, it was definitely planned. It was definitely planned. (laughs) It was definitely planned. So hey, everyone knows that I love a long story, but uh, today I've got a short one. Well, at least my story is short. Jesus' story is big, which is probably the way it should always be. But uh, at our house, we have a tradition, right? We have a tradition that on Christmas Eve, we do the majority of our Christmas shopping. Has anyone else got that tradition? It seems a little unorganized. Yeah, Chris? Yeah. Uh, Tim, sorry. <laughs> yep. Awesome. Love it. Love it. That's great. Christmas Eve, we do the majority of that. So if you see us at the shop, we're probably wandering around on Christmas Eve doing our shopping. But it originally started with us being just so insanely busy that we just couldn't get to the shops through Christmas Eve. So that's the way it started the first year we did it. And then we kind of just bought the majority of our gifts then. And it it actually felt like a bit of a challenge, if I'm honest. And I love a challenge. Like it felt like walking around South Adelaide Shopping Centre, how good can you do with the gifts on Christmas Eve when everything is like already sold out, right? How good can you do? It was a bit of a challenge and it was, it was actually really cool. How creative can you get, get with the gifts for your family? So now it's become a tradition where we spend on Christmas Eve, we head to the shops, we, we split up the kids and Jackie and I split in different directions. So if you see us both individually, we're hiding from each other, trying to choose what we're getting each other. <laughs> we split up with the kids and then we go and then we go with some dinner while we're out. The only fatal problem with this, as I said before, is that the shops is mostly empty. So you have to get really creative with what you're getting. I remember walking around one year thinking there's just not enough left here. If I was in like Perth or something, there'd be so much more, but there's just not enough left. So now we've kind of learned our lesson a little bit. We kind of get the majority of our big presents in advance. 
good forward planning, right? It's probably a good idea. But then we just keep up with our tradition because we love doing it. We love hanging out as a family on Christmas Eve and just doing that together and, you know, getting some more stocking fillers and, and stuff like that. That's it. But yeah, but because of the lateness of Christmas, there just wasn't enough left that year. Have you ever been in a place of not enough? Where you feel like you've run out of something, maybe you couldn't get enough of it to start with, maybe. I think you have, and I think I have. I think we all have been there in some way, especially during Christmas, right? It might be money. It might be time. Maybe you're running out of time for Christmas. Maybe you've still got to work. Maybe it's family. Maybe you're not near family. Or maybe too much family, and that meant that you haven't got enough patience. Anyone been there before? It might be compassion that we're lacking. It might be joy. There might be a space where we don't have enough of something at this time of the year. And I think a really great example of someone who didn't have enough, who was in this position, is actually Joseph and Mary in the Bible. Their earthly mum and dad of Jesus, the night before Jesus was born. Let's take a look back at that moment in history through the lens of Luke. Luke's 2, two, and this is the birth of Jesus. This is what it says. It says, verse 1, At the time the Roman emperor Augustus decreed that a census should take, be taken throughout the Roman Empire. And this was the first census taken when Quinius was governor of Syria. All returned to their own ancestral towns to register for the census. So that's why they had to go back there. And because Joseph was a descendant of King David, he had to go to Bethlehem in Judea, David's ancient home. He traveled there from the village of Nazareth in Galilee. He took with him Mary, whom he was engaged to and was now expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for her baby to be born. She gave, her first, sorry, she gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no lodging available for them. Now, could you imagine this would have been a great honor, right? Bringing into the world God's only son. What an honor. I mean, gifted with the responsibility of bringing him up. But let's go back to the night before it all happened, the day we call Christmas Eve. I can't help but wonder how Mary and Joseph would have felt on this day, bringing a newborn into the world and having to give birth in a manger. After a whole day of travel, Nazareth to Bethlehem, that's 150.6 kilometers. I looked it up. It's a long distance, right? This is before the days of cars. And scholars actually think that this took them four days to travel by donkey to get there. Who's ever done a road trip while imminently expecting? It's apparently quite painful. I can't say I've done it. I have a food baby. But uh, I do remember my wife, Jackie, going through this. But I remember how uncomfortable she was through this. And I can't imagine what four days on a donkey would have been like for Mary. The thing is, Christmas Eve in our culture is known as the silent night. You know, all is calm, all is bright. I think for them it would have been utter chaos. Honestly, like, I, I don't know how that song really exists. I haven't overanalyzed it yet. But man, how can that be a silent night when that's where they were? That's what they were going through. Imagine coming into Bethlehem on a donkey. The panic of trying to find somewhere to stay while Mary is in the early stages of labor. Never having birthed a baby before and then having to give birth in a stable. And Joseph trying to help his wife to do it without any medical intervention. That doesn't sound like a silent night to me. <laughs> Our second Abby was born as an accidental birth at home. And um, it's not something I'd recommend to put on your Christmas list. Um, but I'm, man, I'm so thankful for the ambulance team that were on the phone with us at the time. I can't even imagine what it was like for Joseph and Mary who were doing it solo in a manger. That's incredible. And I have to ask myself, is this really what they would have wanted for their firstborn kids entering into the world? 
can I go? I doubt it. Like we know this is the Christmas story so well, but I doubt that was their ideal. As parents, that's, that can't be their ideal, right? I imagine this is not what they had planned. I think they would have felt that night, the night before Christmas, that they didn't have enough. They didn't have enough for Jesus to be born. And I think not enough in so many areas, not enough support, not enough bedding, not enough doctors, not enough hospital food, not enough anything that would have been considered remotely normal during that birth. And modern storytelling makes this out to be such a beautiful moment. But I think if you've ever been a part of one of these moments, it's a hard moment. And it's definitely not calm and quiet. There ain't no silent night there. So the conditions in this barn were less than ideal for the birth of any baby. And now what if the baby has just happened to be God's only son? As parents, would they wanted that for his arrival? And as a dad myself, I'm willing to bet there are moments that night where Joseph felt like he wasn't enough. Where he would have felt bad that he couldn't provide better for what they were going through. For his first son. And that's not how he wanted to bring him into the world. I get that. There was no modern medicine. There was far from perfect conditions, and I could only imagine that he was feeling like they had run out. That feeling of not having enough, maybe even not being enough on that night. But there's good news in all of this, and the good news is that in the middle of it, God provided for them. In the middle of it is where God shows up. In not enough is where God shows up. This would have been such a stretch of their faith in their provider because The provision didn't look like they expected it to. And don't miss this because this Christmas, God told me to tell you this. He said he provided for them and he'll provide for you too. He provided for them and he'll provide for you too. You see, God went ahead of them. He went before them to those exact moments to orchestrate the perfect way. And he's doing that for you too, even if it doesn't feel like it. And that doesn't mean it's meant to be easy. He'll give you some hard times to grow. Oh, he'll give you hard times. But Mary and Joseph, he planned every step of their journey. And I'm guessing it probably didn't feel like it at the time either. I bet Joseph and Mary were questioning themselves and just going like, God, this is not how it's supposed to happen. Like, this is not what we had planned. But that's usually where our problems lie, so that our expectations don't line up with his provision. It's like you want a double quarter pounder from Macca's and God gives you a sumo salad. That's not fun, is it? Sometimes he gives us what we need, not what we want. Because he knows better for us. And he knows it's all part of a bigger plan for our lives. I can't help but wonder if there would have been feelings of guilt for Joseph and Mary mixed with the question of God, this is your son, why is this so hard? And there are moments in your world right now and in my world right now, where I think we're doing the same thing. We're looking at it thinking, God, this is not how I intended it to be. This isn't right. This doesn't look right. If this is what you want, then why is this so hard? But just like for Mary and Joseph, God has already gone before you and he's prepared the best for you. And I believe that. These very moments are the ones he's going to use to shape you into the person he intends you to be. He's got you. He's the master planner. And I'm going to explain how I know that with so much certainty in just a moment. But let's start here, right? Hypothetically speaking, okay, hypothetically speaking, what would have happened 
if Mary and Joseph disobeyed the law and didn't travel to Bethlehem because they thought that God wouldn't want that birth experience for their son's birth. If they had decided of their own accord, you know what, we're not going through with that. We've got a kid due soon. We're just going to ignore that. We'll pay a fine, whatever we need to do. We're just going to hang out here. We're going to stay here. How different would this story look? And here's the thing. Some of us are missing out on the blessings of God because of comfort. Some of us are saying, nah, God, I'm cool. That, that doesn't sound like an experience that I want to go through. But what we're not realizing is this is the very thing that God was going to use to bring your blessing that you've been asking and praying for. For Mary and Joseph that had a birthing experience that they went through, this brought the biggest blessing into the world that the world has ever known. The biggest blessing. And I'm glad that they didn't try and take that into their own hands. I'm glad that they didn't just decide that, you know what, we're going to stay put right here. Because here's the thing, when your assignment matches God's alignment, you end up with God power on your side. When your assignment matches God's alignment, you end up with the power of God on your side. Romans 8.28 says this, it says, And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. If you're working under his alignment and his assignment for your life, he will provide. Even if the provision isn't what you expected, he will provide. And this is exactly what he did for Mary and Joseph. This moment, this birth of Jesus was literally God's plan to save the world. By sending his son Jesus in human form, this was his arrival to pay the bill for all of our sin to restore our relationship with God that was broken for so long, to give us the ability to communicate and talk directly with him, to tear the veil so that he can guide our life and offer us the chance to go to heaven instead of hell. Mary and Joseph said, yes, Lord, and they got on with it. We've got to be the kind of people who go, yes, Lord, let's go. Let's go. It might still be the holidays, but as Christians, we don't get time off in this space. This is who we are, not just what we do. It's who we are as people. We are here to be a move of God in every season. I'll keep walking. I'll keep waiting. I'll keep getting back up again. Because I know it's part of your plan. And I know your plan is bigger than my comfort. For Mary and Joseph, though, There wasn't enough in this moment, was there? Well, there was, but physically there wasn't. But this is what led to the biggest blessing in all humanity. And you're probably wondering, well, so what? What what if he wasn't born in Bethlehem? Jesus would have still been born. It wouldn't have mattered that much. It still happens, right? Well, I actually disagree with this. And here's why. He would have been born, yes, but let me explain why it was so important that he was born there. First, hypothetically, if they had taken into their own hands and decided that, that they didn't want to go to Bethlehem, then so many prophecies would not have been fulfilled. So many. And you're like, what does that Christianese word mean? If you're here for the first time, you're probably like, what is a prophecy? Well, a prophecy is a spirit-led prediction about what's to come. It's basically a bit like fortune-telling or reading the future, except that it's from God. And here's where it gets crazy. Jesus fulfilled over 400 prophecies or predictions about him through his life. 400. 
400 predictions and you're like, yeah, well, I'm going to predict that I'm going to eat chocolate for the next seven days. I'm going to make sure that comes through. True, that's not that hard, is it? It's true, it's probably not. Friend, these aren't just any prophecies, trust me. The likelihood of some of us eating chocolate for the next seven days is pretty high, especially me. That's not hard to fulfill this time of the year, that's for sure. But the likelihood that Jesus was going to be able to fulfill all of these prophecies, over 400 of them, especially when he wasn't the one to come up with them, is pretty full on. It's pretty slim. So firstly, let's remember that the Bible historically is the most accurate document we have to date. Literally. Science has proven that. We're not going to get into the depth there today. That's a different message. But just know it has been scientifically proven as the most accurate historical document that we have by a long way today. Now, if it's the most accurate historical document, then we know that everything written in it is true because scientifically proven and historically verified, it's all actually happened. It's all actually happened. So then every prediction and prophesy, prophecy about Jesus is written in the Bible. So it makes it historically accurate. So someone actually predicted them. And if these predictions most likely happened before he was born, then what would the likelihood be that he could actually fulfill all of these in 33 years? Well, I looked it up. I used my fancy spiritual online database that I have called Google. And it was amazing because this is what I found out. Are you guys still with me through this? We're still good? Awesome. You cool if we nerd out a bit longer together? Because this is awesome. I love this. And I know this isn't your typical Christmas sermon, but I felt that this was for today. Here's why this stuff's important. Because if you've been in church before for any amount of time here, then you probably know that I'm someone that needs to know the why behind things. Like, I'm not just someone who wants to believe something just because someone said to or because it seems like the best way to go. I want to be sure to be sure to be sure that what I'm putting my faith and trust in is real, that it is legit. I've got to know the why behind it, just like putting your faith in Jesus. Don't do it unless you know that you know that you know that you know. Don't just do it because someone said to do it. Check it out. Ask him if he's real. If you're someone who's on the fence about that, ask him if he's real because he will speak to you. I guarantee he will speak to you and you will have a much firmer foundation in your belief of Jesus just from doing that as opposed to just coming to him for no reason. Do it. Psalm 38 says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Give him a try. Experience him for yourself. But anyway, let's, let's nerd out together for a moment here. Check this out. What's the likelihood of a person predicting today the exact city in which the birth of a future leader would take place? Well into the 22nd century. This is indeed what the prophet Micah did 700 years before Jesus was born. 700 years. Now further to that, what's the likelihood of predicting the precise manner of death that an unknown religious leader would experience a thousand years from now? A manner of death presently unknown and to remain unknown for hundreds of years. Yet that's what David did a thousand years before Jesus. And again, what's the likelihood of predicting the specific date of the appearance of some great future leader Hundreds of years in advance. And this is what Daniel did 530 years before Christ. This is crazy. And this is what Empower.Global said. And this was amazing. So I just copied and pasted this and I'm going to read it to you because I thought about rewriting this in my own words, but it didn't make sense. This is amazing the way this is written. And I promise this is going to be worth it. If one were to conceive 50 specific prophecies about a person in the future whom one would never meet 
just what's the likelihood that that person would fulfill all 50 of the predictions? How much less would this likelihood be if 25 of these predictions were about what other people would do to him and were completely beyond his control? For example, how does someone arrange to be born into a specific family? How does one arrange to be born in a specific city which their parents didn't actually live in? How does one arrange their own death, and specifically by crucifixion, with two others, and then arrange to have their executioners gamble for his clothing? And they say that in John 16 and 19 and Psalms 22, 18. How does one arrange to be betrayed in advance? How does one arrange to have executioners carry out the regular practice of breaking legs of the two victims on either side, but not their own? How does one escape from a grave and appear to people after having been killed? These are all predictions of Jesus. Indeed, it may be possible for someone to fake one or two of these prophecies, but it would be impossible for any one person to arrange to fulfill all of these prophecies. The science of probability attempts to determine the chance that a given event will occur. And a professor at Westmont College had calculated the probability of one man fulfilling the major prophecies. Now, keeping in mind, this is only eight of them. So out of 400, he's just looked at the probability of eight of them that were made concerning Jesus. The estimates were worked out by 12 different classes, representing some 600 university students. The students carefully weighed all the factors, discussed each prophecy at length, and examined the various circumstances which might indicate that men had conspired together to fulfill a particular prophecy. So they looked at that, whether this could have just been a conspiracy or the making something up together. They made their estimates conservative enough so that there was finally unanimous agreement among even the most sceptical students. However, the professor then took the estimates and made them even more conservative. He also encouraged other sceptics or scientists to make their own estimates to see if his conclusions were more than fair. And finally, he submitted his figures for review to a committee of American scientific affiliation. And upon examination, they verified that his calculations were dependable and accurate in regard to the scientific material presented. For example, concerning Micah 2, where it states the Messiah would have been born in Bethlehem, the professor and his students determined the average population of Bethlehem from the time of Micah to the present. Then they divided it by the average population of the earth during that same time period. They concluded that there was a chance of one man being born in Bethlehem was one in 300,000. One in 300,000 was the chance that Jesus would be born in Bethlehem. And after examining only eight different prophecies, they conservatively estimated that the chance of one man fulfilling just these eight prophecies, all eight of these, was one, sorry, was one in 10 to the power of 17. Now, to illustrate that, how large a number that is, that's a figure with 17 zeros. That's a pretty large, that's a pretty large chance, pretty small chance, sorry. The professor gave this illustration. If you mark one of 10 tickets and place all the tickets in a hat, and thoroughly stir them, and then ask a blindfolded man to draw them his chance in getting one right ticket is one in ten, right? Does that make sense so far? Yeah? Suppose we take ten to the power of 17 silver dollars and lay them on the state of Texas. It'll cover the whole face of Texas, two feet deep. So 61 centimeters deep. Now mark one of these silver dollars, stir the whole mass together over the whole state, blindfold a man... And tell him that he can travel as far as he wishes, but he's got to pick up the one silver dollar that has one special mark on it, blindfolded. What is the chance that he's going to find this right one? It's pretty small, right? But that's the same chance the prophets would have had in writing these eight prophecies and having them all come true in any one man from 
their day to present time. That's just eight of the prophecies. That's insane. In financial terms, if there's anyone who would not invest in a financial venture, if the chance of failure were only 10 to the power of 17, then this kind of sure investment were offered by God for faith in his Messiah. From these figures, the professor concludes the fulfillment of these eight prophecies alone that proves God inspired the writing of the prophecies. The likelihood of mere chance is only one in 10 to the power of 17. And another way of saying this is that a person who maximizes or ignores the significance of the Bible and the biblical identifying signs concerning Jesus would be foolish. But of course, there were many more than eight prophecies. In another calculation, the professor used 48 prophecies, even though he could have used, it's a guy named Edisham's 456 prophecies because he went through and calculated these all out. And he could have arrived at an extremely conservative estimate, but he worked on 48. And this ends up having 157 zeros on it. The professor gave an illustration of this number using electrons. And electrons, does anyone know what an electron looks like? Electrons are tiny, right? This is what he said. He said, electrons are smaller than atoms and it would take 2.5 times 10 to the power of 15 of them laid side by side to make one inch, which is two and a half centimeters. Two and a half centimeters. So even if we counted 250 of these a minute and counted day and night, it's still going to take 19 million years just to count a line of electrons two and a half centimeters long. That's full on, man. That's a lot of counting. I don't have 19 million years to count that. With this introduction, let's go back to our chance of 1 in 10 to, 150, to the power of 157. And let's suppose that we're taking this number of electrons marking 1 and thoroughly stirring it into the whole mass, then blindfolding the man and let him try and find this one electron. What's the chances of him actually finding that? What kind of a pile of electrons would this actually make? It would be inconceivable. The result from considering a mere 48 prophecies out of 456. Wow. I don't think that could be chance. I don't think that could be chance. Once one goes past the chance of 10 to the power of 50, the probabilities are so small that it is impossible to think that they will even occur. So the professor concluded, any man who rejects Christ as the Son of God is rejecting a fact proved perhaps more absolutely than any other fact in the world. Wow. If that doesn't point it out, I don't know what will. So besides the fact that this completely blows my mind and probably yours too, scientifically, mathematically, what it means more than anything else is that God is the master planner. God is a master planner. There's no chance that all of this could be chance. He has your life planned. He has my life planned. And as we go back to our locating scripture, and it's going to have a whole different context to you now if we read this again, Jeremiah 29 says, For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. There are plans for good and not for disaster to give you a future and a hope. In those days when you pray, I will listen. If you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. And this led me to confirm that it was definitely planned. Oh, it was definitely planned. Jesus coming to earth was definitely planned. And not just him coming, but every single detail of it, every little minute thing was planned out and nothing was left to chance. Who's still planning their holiday trip? Yep, we've got a little bit of planning to do left. 
Imagine being the one planning Jesus' 33-year visit to earth. Wow. How incredible is God in the way he was able to knit all of this together so that over 400 prophecies could be fulfilled as part of it. So, so why, like, why does any of this matter, right? And what does this even have to do with Christmas? Well, here's the thing I think you need to know is, number one, God is the master planner. You can be sure that God has thought through every situation in your life. You can't think after the prophecies that Jesus fulfilled that he's not thought through every situation. Whatever you're going through, he has thought it through. It makes so much sense to let him lead your life. It's no accident. So why not ask the person who created the plan to drive? He made the roadmap. Why not ask him to drive the car too? God has it planned out for you and me. He's the master planner. We've got to put our trust in him in this season. And it might feel like this festive season you're lacking something, like something's not enough. I'm believing God is going to provide for you because he's got it planned out. He's the master planner. He had Mary and Joseph's first Christmas Eve planned to a T, didn't he? He had it so finitely planned that it's not even conceivable for us to understand how in-depth that was. Number two, it's not enough is where God shows up. In not enough is where God shows up. How else would you know it's him? How else would you know that it's God? God saw Mary and Joseph in the middle of their not enough, and he sees you when you are not enough too, whatever it is. God says you might think that it's not what you want right now, but I planned it out, and you've got no idea what it's going to lead to. Plans for good and not for disaster. Jeremiah. This Christmas, just know that while it might seem like you're not enough, whatever it is is not enough, know that God has got you. He's planned it out. He's planned out your walk. And all we have to do is come to him and not neglect him in his mission. It's so easy to get complacent this time of year and go, it's about family, it's about Christmas, it's about hanging out. It is, but it's about Jesus first. We've got to prioritize that and do that first. Psalm 139 says this. It says, O Lord, you have examined my heart and you know everything about me. You know when I sit up, sorry, you know when I sit down or stand up. You know my thoughts even when I'm far away. You see me when I travel and when I rest at home. You know everything I do. You know what I'm going to say even before I say it, Lord. You go before me and follow me. You place your hand of blessing on my head. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too great for me to understand. So true. I could never escape from your spirit. I can never get away from your presence. If I go up to heaven, you are there. If I go down to the grave, you are there. If I ride the wings of the morning, if I dwell by the farthest oceans, even there, your hand will guide me and your strength will support me. That's his promise. That's his promise to us. Number three, his provision comes when you align with his assignment. His provision comes when you align with his assignment. This is where he is and this is where he shows up. It's when you're being a move of God. It's when you're chasing down the assignment that he's given you and you're doing his work. That's when you're in alignment with him. For Mary and Joseph in that moment was to go to Bethlehem and birth a son. And I've got no doubt that God would have pulled out 
all stops to make sure that they got there, that that happened. Your alignment with his assignment is what brings you his provision. And I felt God say, someone here needs to know to stay in your lane. Someone needs to know today to stay in your lane. You might see what another church is doing. You might see what another person is doing. And it's so tempting to jump on board with that vision because it's good too. There's nothing wrong with that. That's awesome. But it's not your assignment. It's not your assignment. Your assignment, your alignment is different. God's called you to something specifically. And Mary and Joseph were working on his assignment under his alignment. And God will provide for you too if you're in yours. If God's got you in a season where you feel like you haven't got enough, as long as you stay strong in your relationship with him, he will guide you. He will guide you this season. Whether it be Christmas, whether it be Easter, whether it be the middle of the year, he's there. He's there. Would you stand to your feet this morning with me, church? Here's what's crazy. You might be here for the very first time today. You might be joining us online for the first time. You might have never been to church before. But I don't think it's a mistake that you're here. I think God the master, planner, made sure that it wasn't a coincidence that you're here today. God planned this moment too and he's lined it up because he wants to start a relationship with you. And for some of us, maybe we've been in a relationship with him for a long time, but isn't this such a good reminder of his plans and the way that he works? Now, I'm not talking about this being some one-way relationship with a God where you say your bedtime prayers and that's kind of it. I'm talking about a relationship with the one true living God who will communicate and speak back with you. He's the creator of the universe. He's the manufacturer who knows us better than we know ourselves. And that is the real gift of Christmas. That's the real gift because Jesus came for us to have that. That's the reason he was born here on earth was so that we could be restored in relationship with our Father. I love how C.S. Lewis, the writer of the Chronicles of Narnia, puts it. He says this, he says, Christianity, if false, is of no importance. And if true, of infinite importance. Importance. The only thing it cannot be is moderately important. It's either everything or nothing, man. Jesus is either everything or nothing. I dare you to look into it and see if it is because you'll find him I know that but for some of us maybe that's the journey we've been on and maybe your first step is to say you know what this is my moment I want to accept you into my life I want to accept that gift this Christmas I want to put my faith in you Lord I believe first thing we have to do in order to do that is to come to him to surrender to repent and go you know what i'm sorry lord i'm sorry for living life my own way for doing it my way for so long for making such a mess of it because we all do we're all sinners so the first thing is to say i'm sorry for doing that without you lord and you know what i want you to guide me i want you to show me the way to live life i want you to make an act of change in my world and i'm going to listen and i want to follow you through it lord so today In a moment, I'm going to give you the opportunity to welcome into your life for the first time. Maybe it might be the very first time. You might make a decision, you know what, I want Jesus in my world. Or maybe you're someone who knew him for a long time and you want to come back to him. Maybe you're in a moment where it's like, you know what, this is time for me to come back and say, hey, what, I want you in my life, Jesus. I miss you. And the third type of person I want to pray for today is someone who maybe you don't know 
that you're going to heaven. I want to give you the assurity today that you are. So now, church, with every eye closed, every head bowed this morning, would you just throw your hand in the air if that's you? I'm going to count to three and I'm going to get you to throw your hand up in the air. One, two, three. Throw it up if that's you. If you're someone who's decided, you know what? Yeah, I see you in the back. Thank you. If you're someone who's decided, you know what? I want to come back to you today, Lord. You know what? I want to make a decision to follow you for the first time, Lord. Or if I'm just someone who maybe I don't know if I'm going to heaven. I'm going to pray for you as well. That's awesome. If you're online, you can do this there as well. I'm just going to wait another moment in case there's anyone else who feels that this is their moment today. That's awesome. We're going to pray this prayer together for the benefit of those who've never prayed it before. And it goes like this. It says, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and the Savior of the world. I believe he died and rose again to forgive my sin and give me life. I receive your grace by faith. Come into my life. Make me new. I'll follow you. That's so good. Can we have a round of applause for those that just pray this for the first time? Man, this truly is the most amazing thing. And honestly, this is the biggest gift, the best gift, the most amazing gift that you could ever accept into your world so congratulations and please come and find us afterwards come and chat to anyone you've seen on stage any of the team we want to help you on this journey we've got resources we've got things that are going to help you on your journey awesome hey thank you so much for watching make sure you subscribe so you don't miss a thing from our channel and share with a friend because you never know who you're going to bless you can also catch us live every sunday morning at 9 30 a.m australian western standard time we'd love to see you there